Hi, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast, where we share positive stories and suggestions about finding hope, resources, and connections to help us all get through hard times. I'm Karen Sullivan, a mom, an author, and a stage four cancer patient who's always looking around me for inspiration. I believe in surrounding myself with people and experiences that make me smile. And that's what I'm hoping to do for you today. So grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so excited to introduce you to Dr. Cheryl Ziegler. Dr. Ziegler is a licensed clinical psychologist, author of Mommy Burnout, podcast host, international speaker, TEDx speaker, digital health advisor, and media contributor. As an award-winning author, founder of a therapy practice, and community leader, Cheryl focuses on five pillars, mental health, parenthood, digital wellness, transition to puberty, and chronic stress burnout. She works with parents, teens, and kids while focusing on mental health and parenting resources. I am thrilled to have her on today to talk about reclaiming our lives as parents and raising healthier kids in the process. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for being here today. I have been pitching, pitching, pitching you for months, and finally you're here. I'm really, really honored to have you on the podcast. I know you've been all across the country traveling for conferences, doing media appearances, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm so happy to be here, and I know this did take a long time for us to arrange, and I hope that it'll have been worth it, so I appreciate you being patient. Oh, I know it. I know it'll be worth it, and and to the listeners out there, um, I think you're going to really enjoy this because everything that I have watched that Cheryl's done or i have following her on social media, I really love the way she's got this connection to people while also providing us with, in this case, our conversations on parenting, some great parenting resources along the way. Um, but I want to take a step back. Can you tell the listeners for a moment a little bit about you? Like, how did you come to this line of work? Yeah. Uh, so let me let me set the stage, which requires uh, me telling a little of my personal story, um, because I think it it contributes to how I got here. Um, I was born to a teenage immigrant mother. Uh, my mom came here from Cuba when she was 12 years old, got pregnant with me at 16, had me at 17. I was born, you know, in Harlem. New York and was uh, raised in Washington Heights on welfare, food stamps. And I think, you know, of course, without knowing what was happening at the time, there was lots of hardship, but there was also lots of what we call protective stress factors. And mainly being that I was like the baby, of course, I was, my mom was so young having me. So I had a lot of family and a lot of love around me, despite that we didn't have anything, but I didn't know we didn't have anything because I always felt loved and adored and taken care of. I didn't have my own room. We lived in a one bedroom apartment. I slept with my mom until I was seven years old. I drank a bottle till I was like five years old. Um, and I, I just didn't, you know, nobody would have known that, that actually there was a lot of good happening while you would look at me and I would have been, I definitely was a, you know, a free lunch kid and all of that. So, um, what happened was we then moved and, um, we moved an hour North of New York city and I all of a sudden got really, um, thrown out of my culture. So I only spoke Spanish. Um, and I quickly lost it. It was like, 
stop speaking that language, stop eating the foods that you normally eat, which was lots of rice and beans. Um, and it was, you know, a culture aid. Like you need to adapt to this really um, Anglo culture that there was nobody of color, just an hour north of New York City at the time was very little diversity. So um, I looked different, my skin was dark. Um, I spoke differently, I had to quickly lose my accent. And um, of course, again, at the time, I, there, were, there wasn't a word necessarily for that, but like it was quick. And what happened with, there was also this village wrapped around me. I was, I think I was a nice kid and a good friend. And um, I now look back and say, wow, look at the way these parents wrapped around me. And, um, you know, my mom wind up, wound up marrying a New York City police officer. He was gone a lot. He had four kids. I, I went from being the only to the youngest of, four, of five with us total. And, um, you know, there was, though, a lot of turmoil in that marriage. And I just sort of found my people at a young age. I spent a lot of time at other people's houses. I spent a lot of time with other people's families that were probably functioning a lot healthier than mine was. And um, when I was 13 years old, I got this purple journal and um, it said like, you know, the front cover of sort of like your name, I'm a big journaler. And then the next page was just like some questions, you know, like what's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? What do you wanna be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be the Barbara Walters of psychology. Um, I want to be a psychologist. And, um, you know, again, nobody in my family has ever been to college. Nobody's educated on a higher level. But I had this sense, again, very young, that like I could connect and relate to a lot of different people. I loved listening to people's stories. And um, I just was very mission driven from a very young age. So the first day of high school, um, I met with a guidance counselor and you start whatever your high school process. And I said, I want to be a psychologist. So what do I need to do? And he said, well, you're going to need to go to school for like 10 years. I was like, okay, great. Where do I start? Right. So it wasn't like I was like, whoa, how am I going to pay for that? Uh, where is where am I going to go? It was just matter of fact for me. Okay, great. And that's what I set out to do. And I have three psychology degrees. And, um, you know, this, all this that I just told you has taken many years to realize what was happening. I didn't know it was happening while it was unfolding. It's the ability to reflect back and go, wow, that certainty and, and my field and what I've chosen to do very much came out of both having had a lot of struggles myself and really it comes down to people for me it is the community and the belief in me that was like okay great i can do anything and i've really i still have that in my life to this day and it's it's made a world of difference literally for my life well and as you sit here and talk about how you had this dream of being the barbara walters of psychology you go to your website right now and look at your multi-platformed you're an author. You're a podcast host. You know, if Barbara Walters was 20 again, I'm not saying that we're 20 again, but let's just say, you know, if, if you push the time, time forward, podcasting and doing the multimedia work or the, the contributing media work that you're doing, like that's where it's at now. And so you're getting your message out in so many different directions. 
And so, I mean, hey, she would be proud. And I'm sure all, all those in the community that that helped raise you would be proud as well. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, so, all right, you're out there in the community, local, national. What are some of the, you know, we talk, I, I talked in the bio of the areas that you really focus on, but what are some of the messages that you think are really important that parents hear nowadays? Yeah. So I am everywhere. I mean, I would say um, I want to point out that in addition to, you know, going to bigger cities um, and, and having a group private practice here in Denver, I also will go to rural communities and I and they're always so grateful, but I'm also so grateful because they're highly underserved. And, um, you know, when you go and speak to live or on Zoom to a rural community, there's very limited resources there, but I'll tell you that they're going through the same things as big cities and as suburbs. We're all going through the same thing. That's probably my first message that we're really, we're all in this together, whether um, no matter what end of the economic spectrum you're on, our kids are living in a time where they have stressors that we did not have. And in addition to what maybe is more universal, you know, parental conflict, family dysfunction, divorce, um, you know, some grief and loss. Those are some things maybe, you know, in the natural stages of you becoming an adolescent, that's a really hard time. You're, you know, going from identity um, to identity and figuring that out. All of that's evergreen. But outside of that, there are unique stressors that today's parent just, I don't, for the most part, just can't even relate to. Number one being social media, technology, screen time, having the world in the palm of your hands when you are whatever age, eight, nine. Um, I recently saw a study that um, says this was this was in Britain that 16% of, of toddlers age three are on TikTok. Um, <laughs> this is in the UK. And I don't know what it is here. I mean, maybe very similar. I'm not sure. But, you know, we are exposing kids, babies, toddlers to high levels of stimulation at very young ages. And then as they grow older and older, we have now this huge rise in ADHD and in prescribing, you know, prescription medications to kids. But our world is just different. So we're overstimulated, short attention spans. Kids today, truly in therapy, will talk about climate anxiety and stressors around politics. Those are things that we did not, I think, by and large, we meaning parents, whether those are millennials, maybe older Gen Z and, um, you know, Gen X for sure. Those are things we just didn't have to contend with. And so what I think today's parent needs to know is that if you're finding this to be very hard, very, very hard, you're not crazy. You're not missing something. Um, these are really unprecedented times paired with a pandemic that broke the already broken mental health system. It was already fragmented and it just like collapsed it. And so we're currently still in a state of mental health emergency. So the combination of environmental factors and this insane increase in social media access and the pandemic, which broke a system that was, again, fractured, has led parents to feeling like, what do I do? Where do I go? Um, and a lot of fear. You know, right now, um, parents' number one fear is their child becoming depressed 
and suicidal. Mental health is number one. It used to be, I'm afraid they're going to get into a car accident. I'm afraid they're going to get into drugs. I'm afraid of those things. Those are now lower on the list with mental health being number one. And what do you say to a parent when they're sitting there probably in a session with you and they say, this is my biggest fear. My biggest fear is the mental health of my child and where that could lead. So I say to them, it should be legitimately. And there are things that we can do. And I'll use that term again, protective stress factors, because it's not a term I think that gets used a lot. It's a clinical term. But now with social media and these mental health influencers, um, kids of all ages are getting mental health information thrown at them. And there's a lot of positive that comes from that. There's also some negative. They're using words that are concerning sometimes because they have them. Um, but what I say to them is um, when they say, okay, well, what's a protective stress factor? Like, what do you mean? Well, exactly like what the story I started with you. Number one is social connection. Number one. So my TEDx talk um, is called Why Moms Are Miserable. And the answer to that is because you have kids, you get lonely, you get isolated, you start losing your friends. And before you know it, it's this experience that you go, I, I didn't know I was signing up for this. And women would tell me all the time, I swear I used to have friends. Well, if we can change that where having social connection is a top maternal mental health priority, that helps when it comes to raising your kids because you're not at it alone. You are socializing yourself. You're socializing your kids. You've got a community around you through the challenging times. And so if you had to say of all the things you could do, diet, exercise, nature, meditation, all the things that are that do have science behind them that help your mental health, social connection is absolutely number one. I love that you say that because when it comes to, you know, side note, as a two-time cancer survivor living with stage four disease, and I know that there are a lot of people that have come to me from the cancer world or from just this place of hardship. They um, have some sort of disease or something really stressful has been going on. I, you know, someone who is not nearly as educated in this as you have read a lot on how social connection, like, yeah, you can change your diet and maybe, you know, if that's something that works for you, it, it can feel good. It worked for me. I felt great eating much more green. I, you know, exercise can be good. Mindfulness practices can be good. But to your point, everywhere it's coming at me is having the right type of support, not just having support there, but having the right type for you. And I think that's really powerful because, uh, you know, when you're going through a hard time, in this case, we're talking parenting, it's, you know, imagine having the judgmental friend or parent or something that's looking over your shoulder and telling you everything you're doing, you should do it this way. Or that friend that's there in the trenches that's la laughing and crying and is like throwing their hands up and saying, I get it. I hear you. I don't have an answer, but but I hear you. And that's where I'm at, too. And uh, that is the type of support I like to have in terms of my experiences, whether it's through the cancer or even through the parenting. Yeah. And one thing I'll share that I did share in the TEDx talk um, that at the time felt pretty vulnerable and sometimes still does, but I think it's necessary to share with the world is that I had a mindset and this, you know, the story that I kind of, that is the thread of the talk was probably is at this point, like seven or eight years ago. And I had this moment where I found myself in the ER and we didn't know what was wrong, but I was just in a ton of pain. 
and um, you know, they come in and run all these tests and eventually they say to me, you're passing a kidney stone. And um, so, you know, it's gonna be a couple hours, we're gonna sit there and I'm now I'm all medicated, I'm feeling good. And then I think to myself alone, because my husband was home, I have three kids, he was home with the three kids. I think to myself, so who actually cares that I'm here right now? Like who would care that I would call them to just say like, hey, guess what, Karen? Oh my gosh, this is so crazy. I'm in the hospital right now. I'm hooked up to like drugs and an IV. I'm passing kidney stone. I was in so much pain for three days. No, I don't need you to do anything. No, I don't need you to pick up my kids. I don't need a meal. I don't need anything. You just would care because you love me and you're my friend. And I just thought I'm making a big mistake because the people who I thought of, I did have people they were all in New York where I'm from. And those are, that's my tribe. The, they're my friends for 30 plus years, but I'm in Denver and I needed to commit to opening up my heart and opening up my world to different friends, to more friends. I didn't have to replace anybody. I didn't have to drop anybody. And so I now say to people, you know, whether they're seven years old or 57 years old, I say, we have friends for ages and stages reasons and seasons and they are all valuable every one of them maybe the mom at the bus stop that you talk to every morning she's valuable because you guys download your whole days together and that's boom there was five minutes of connection and your neighbor who is is there for you and will like grab the kids or help you she's valuable even though you might not tell her what's happening in your marriage or what's happening with your health she's very valuable to your tribe so i had to have this lived experience in this hospital to open up my mind to realize not everybody has to be my friend of 30 years to be in my circle i have now women who i talk to about finances and business goals and aspirational things and i don't even talk about that with my very best friend because that's not our relationship and vice versa so i want to share that because i know for sure because I, I i watch the t statistics there are at least one in four women that say they don't feel they have anybody in their lives that they can confide in. Friendship, loneliness, we are the loneliest time of a generation right now. And so I'm sharing my story. If it could help one person open up and go, yeah, you know, maybe it is worth me investing in whoever. The co-chair on the committee I sit at at school, maybe she's not somebody I want to grab a glass of wine with, but she's somebody that I want to get stuff done with. And, she, and I can do it with her. So just opening up your mind to relationships and how they can impact your life and your family in a better way. Well, I, and I think the step before that is realizing you want or need this. And I, I want to talk a little bit about your, whether it's your phrase, as I do air quotes right now, or it's the title of your book, Mommy Burnout. I can speak for myself as a mother of a teenager, and I have, you know, as a mom, I think many of us, we put our kids first. And how many times can somebody say, oh, hey, you know, what, what's fun for you? What do you want to do this weekend? And I think, okay, my kid loves baseball. What can we do with baseball? I'm automatically on default to think, how can I care for my kid? How can I make my kid happy? Uh, I'm happy in the process because he's happy. And, you know, to see him giggle or to have a good time, it fills me with joy. That being said, do I know what I need for me? Or, you know, listeners out there, I, I say this to you, do, do, you know, do you oftentimes default to other people in your life? Because likely we all play many roles. And so 
how do we get to this place to realize that maybe we're in mommy burnout or maybe we are just taking on so much, we need to take a deep breath and figure out ways to take care of ourselves. Can you address that a little bit? Because I know this is a topic that is is truly part of your expertise. Yeah. I mean, mommy burnout was born out of seeing primarily moms who bring their kids in for the intake appointment. And when we're doing our intake, that means, you know, I'm asking just a lot of interview type questions. By the end of it, many of them were saying, maybe it's me who needs to be coming into therapy and not my kid. And it became just a pattern. And then I started having the feeling, sometimes I would look at my my schedule and I would be like, oh my gosh, if my three o'clock knew how my four o'clock felt and how the five o'clock felt, I just had the most basic thought, the world would be a better place. It was just, if we knew, if they knew that they were not alone. And that was a while ago. I mean, Mommy Burnout was published in 2018. And this observation probably started in solidly started like in 2013 for me or something. So now what happened was that was how my observation came to be. And then I wanted to write about my working title was modern day motherhood. I just didn't have anything else for it. modern day motherhood. And I was writing down these observations, creating a book proposal, zero experience, no agent at the time, just felt like this is important. And when I did finally get an agent, she read the proposal. She said, we're going to work together. We're going to do this, but you got to name this. This is a condition. You got to name it. And I was like, I'm going to name, I am going to name a condition. And she said, yeah, you're going to name a condition. And so what happened was I really embarked on trying to understand what is the state of this. And I wanted to understand the history of motherhood. Is this unique? Was this unique? When did this start? And what I realized was that starting back in the 1950s, where we all have the quote, 1950s mom, right? Who seemed stay at home, didn't work outside of the house, and was just happily a homemaker. She was taking mommy's little helper and mommy's little helper is Xanax. And so even moms in the 1950s and early 60s, they felt anxious and alone and disappointed by maybe the storyline of their life. And if you go back really and read Betty for Dan's The Feminine Mystique, the title of chapter one is The Problem That Has No Name. If you read that chapter, your jaw will drop because it was written like in 1962. And in today's age, same issues, same thing. Isolation, loneliness, looking for purpose, nothing has changed. And so I thought this is very unfortunate. And so between understanding first the history and then really looking through the psychological science to try to make any sense of this, I mean, we study burnout, we meaning psychologists, we started studying that in the 70s when there were docs and ER docs and nurses that were turning over at these incredible rates. And so they started studying like, why? Why is this happening? Why are they turning over so fast? And that's when the idea of burnout really came to be. And so burnout was defined as the the physical and emotional exhaustion that results from feeling like you are no longer good or effective at your job, and therefore you get resentful, cynical, and negative. Okay, that is the proper definition of world from the World Health Organization um, and psychological science. And so I read that and I was like, oh, 
motherhood is this vocation. Women are burning out from their job as a mom in which physical exhaustion, right? Physical. How many moms will, I'm exhausted. I'm so stressed. I'm so burned out. And so I'm really on a mission to say, A, I believe the vocation is, is mothering. B, I wrote this in 2018. 2019 World Health Organization comes out with a definition for a burnout syndrome. And then like 2020 and on, the American Psychological Association is now saying parental burnout. And so I was a little ahead of the game, um, but what has happened is we're realizing that you can, that doesn't mean you don't love your kids. It doesn't mean, oh my gosh, like some, most of the comments on my TEDx talk are nice, but some of them are like, then don't have kids. Well, then why did you have kids? Like, no, that's like saying like, well, why do you work? Or why do you do this? We love our kids, but the demands that are placed upon, I'm gonna stick to women, the, de the demands that are placed onto women are so overwhelming. We don't know what to do with it. So we're resorting today's version to me. I mean, plenty, millions of people take Xanax, but today's version of mommy's little helpers wine, right? So we've gone from prescription meds and now we, we know because of the opioid crisis, how many people are taking painkillers. So legally, you know, prescribed to them because depression does hurt it gets manifested in your body. Stress gets manifested in your body. So the way I talk to people now is I say, if somebody says to you, oh my God, I'm so stressed out, what you should be calculating in your head is not the automatic response of, yeah, me too, right? Or, oh, how are you doing? Oh my God, I'm so crazy busy. No, don't accept this anymore because this is what I like to say to people. What if you ask me how I am? And I said back to you, well, I'm having heart palpitations and I think that I could be pre-diabetic because I'm so stressed. I'm at higher likelihood for having a cardiovascular stroke and um, I'm sleepless and I'm walking around like I'm pretty much drunk because I'm so sleepless that when I drive, it's actually unsafe. Would you just go, oh yeah, me too. And then be like, all right, see you later. No. Right? But that is what stress is doing to our brains and our bodies. And we've normalized it way too much. Okay, so what do you then suggest to moms, you know, with the goal of obviously, I guess, I don't know if balance is the right word, but finding a um, a better place for stress in their lives. Uh, so I guess we'll say balancing that a little bit and then leading to having healthy relationships with yourself, with your family, obviously with your kids. So the first thing is to acknowledge that stress is a daily part of all of our lives. And sometimes the subsequent anxiety that is around it is also life protecting. Anxiety lets us know like, wake up, pay attention. Um, something might be wrong. Somebody needs your attention. So stress, normal. Anxiety, protective, there to help us. It's when both of those things go awry. When both of those things are chronic, they're daily. You don't get a break from it. You have symptoms like chronic sleep deprivation, you are irritable, you have maybe carb cravings, or maybe you're not eating anymore. You find yourself wanting to have wine or 
um, going for your pain pills more. You are maybe socially isolating. You're not connecting to people. You're blowing people's calls off. You're just texting them. I always say, you can hide behind a text. I could literally text anything I want to right now to anyone that could be so untrue. I'm doing great. Or, you know, I'm sitting on a Caribbean island like nobody will know what's really happening in my life. So actual face-to-face -face connection. Um, you know, having dissatisfaction in, in your marriage or your partnership. So there are signs, right? yelling, that's a good one, right? You yell at your kid once in a while. We all do it. I do it. Okay. And I'm yelling at my kids pretty much every day. I'm probably under a high level of stress and I don't have the capacity, the bandwidth, the window of tolerance is what one of the phrases that we call it. My window of tolerance for stress becomes really, really, really small the more stress that I'm under. But when I am managing my stress, right? I'm not saying there's no stress. I'm managing it. I'm doing the things that I should do. I'm getting out in nature 20 minutes a day. I'm taking a walk in the middle of the day. I'm meeting up with a girlfriend once a week or whenever it is. And in between, I'm still texting and connecting with my friends um, in authentic ways. Then my window opens up and widens. And now when my kids come home cranky and irritable, they didn't do their homework, they failed a test, whatever it is, I've got a lot more bandwidth to be like, let's, let's deal with this in the way that I want to show up. When the window is really, really small, typically I'm not showing up the way that I want to. And definitely the clients that I'm working, they come in and it's like a confessional, right? Like, oh my gosh, last week was so terrible. I was under so much stress. I had all these things going on at work or whatever. And um, I just didn't handle it well with my kids. And then they think they're a bad mom, which is the definition of burnout. You no longer think you are effective at your job. They say, I'm a bad mom. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like, hold up. That's not true. And then I make it about their stress levels. So as I'm sitting here nodding because whether it's me saying these things or I've heard people saying these things like right on, right on, right on, right? It, it's, I think it happens to so many of us. Now, I'm curious. I've heard you talk about how self-care is health care. Can you lead us there? What do you mean by that? And what specifically, I think some of the things you may have mentioned um, in your suggestions now, but, but how do you go about looking at self-care? What is it? How do we do it as healthcare? Yes. So, um, yeah, I will say that probably in the last three years, I've become really vocal whenever I have the opportunity to say mental health is health. Mental health is just health care. It's not like there's something different about like our brain and we disattach it, right? We know now this isn't any longer like alternative woo-woo thinking that if you're under stress that you can, that manifests in your body and that the way that you think your thoughts impact your daily functioning. This isn't out there anymore. This is what we know to be true. So right now at a time where I will tell you, I'd say like the whole country, the whole world really cares a ton now about mental health, right? <laughs> I went into this field 25 years ago. This was a very private hush hush thing. And now all of a sudden it's like anybody and everybody, they're free to talk about their healthcare. They're talking about their depression. They're talking about the bills they're on. Like it's great. We're working really in so many different ways to actually reduce stigma. But what I'm here to say is don't any longer think well, I'm doing good. I got my mammogram. I got that in this year, um, you know, and I, I went to the doctor once and I'm taking my vitamin D. Great. 
also as a part of your healthcare routine and regimen, right? We get older, maybe you have to take now calcium for osteoporosis, you've got to take vitamin D, you've got to take all sorts of pills, magnesium to help you sleep, like, right? So you have this formula, depending on the ages in your 30s, it's certain things, 30s, 40s, 50s, you've got different things you do to take care of your health. Right now at the age of 40, they say time to get a mammogram. We're looking at colonoscopies. Those are happening sooner too, right? So as you look at the recommended guidelines on what you should do at every age and stage, you also need to say, oh, okay. And so in that continuum, where's my mental health care? And what do I need to do for that? What does that mean for me, right? Just like you and I probably don't take the same vitamins and supplements, we also may do things that are slightly different to take care of ourselves. And there's lots of factors, but we have sort of the formula. You have to be, A, you have to be honest about your family history. Lots of mental health issues are genetic. And we need to talk honestly about these things. And that can be hard. If you wanna ask a grandparent, you wanna go back a generation or two, they didn't talk about that and they still might not talk about that. But I'll tell you what, in most families, there's somebody who died by suicide. There's somebody who was institutionalized. There's somebody who had a child with what they at the time probably would have just been like mental retardation, which today potentially could be that could be an intellectual disability or could have been autism. So if you go back a couple generations, you start to see generations of a theme, depression, anxiety leading leading the way. And so you go just like, you, you know how when you go to the doctor, it says going back to, to, you know, siblings and grandparents who's had cancer, who's had high, high blood pressure, blah, blah, blah. It should say, and sometimes they do anxiety, depression, suicide. Um, so you start there and then you kind of say, like, I will share with you. Let's see. Right now, part of my um, part of my health care is connection, number one. So I'm very authentic about that. That's a priority in my life. So that's number one. Um, but number two is I drink a lot of water. So yes, that's good for me. That's good for my body, but it's actually good for your brain. So your brain is an electrical circuit. And when you're, when you are under high levels of stress, you get dehydrated. And when your brain is dehydrated, that's when you go, wait, what was I looking for? What? wait, where are my keys? Oh, wait, I want to tell you something. Oh, I forgot. Right. So so part of why that happens is that's the brain under stress. So now my cognition, my cognitive process is being impacted. So I make sure to stay well hydrated. And what that means for me is I drink my body weight and I take it. I take it. So you should drink your body weight in ounces if you're under a tremendous amount of stress. If you're 150 pounds, drink 150 ounces of water. If you're kind of going along regularly, you cut that in half. And that's how much water you should have every day. So that's connection, hydration is staple for me. And I would say third is just movement. So I don't get to, like I have a Peloton and in the last 30 days, I think I've been on it two to three times. That bums me out, but I've been traveling a lot. So I don't beat myself up because I'm not out there killing it on my Peloton. I love it. It's a great endorphin rush for me when I'm done, but I just haven't had the time. So then I'm just conscious to move because we're not actually just moving enough, right? So I'm giving an example of like, I haven't been fantastic this spring about exercise and I just go, but you know what? I move. And what that means is like, I might stretch. 
I might um, take 10 minute walks if I need to, like, oh, not if I need to, but if I can, I just make sure I'm conscious every single day to be moving my body in a way that's intentional and purposeful. And then I would say for me right now, another staple is like meditation. Meditation is really amazing for you on every single level from managing high blood pressure to having presence, all those things. I don't get to do a true meditation every day, but what I do do often is I do what I call five minutes of quiet. So like after we get off of this, I might um, turn all my notifications off, even turn the lights down, close my eyes and sit at this desk for five minutes of pure quiet. And then I see what thoughts, if any, come to my mind and sometimes even something to do, oh, drop off the dry cleaning comes up. I have a pen and pad by me. I don't do it by my phone at that point because I don't want to get distracted, right? And I just write down whatever's come to my mind. I'm a real creative. So sometimes cool creative ideas come to my mind and I just put them down there. And that's all I do. So right now, as for an example, I do that for my mental health and my physical health, you know, I take my multivitamins. Sometimes I, I need some fiber. I'm making sure I'm drinking a ton of water and then I'm moving. They're all together and related. I love that. All, all of it. And as you were saying this five minutes of quiet, um, my mind's, you know, spinning right now thinking, the beginning you were talking about overstimulation and how everybody, probably all of us, especially our kids are overstimulated. And I wonder if that would be, a tactic where I could say, okay, family, you know, cause it starts from the top, mm -hmm. me, my husband, my son, like five minutes, no stimulation. We're just going to sit here. Do you have any other su suggestions? Because the world is so, everything is stimulation. You walk into a target or a grocery store and there's so many things coming at you and that's not even digital. Um, let alone then when you get into, oh, we come home and you've got the TV screen, you've got the phone screen, you've got the video game screen, you've got your homework, which is maybe on a Chrome or an iPad. There's just depths of overstimulation. Are there any other ideas you can throw at us besides this five minutes of quiet time? Absolutely. I think for overstimulation, it takes a lot of practice and discipline, but I am a big proponent of not multitasking, but rather monotasking. And what that really means is, yeah, I can, I can multitask with the best of them when I have to. It's a tool that I have. It is not the rule. It's the exception. So monotasking means that I am going to concentrate on literally one task at a time. When I'm at Target, because this is what I'm seeing. I know we're all seeing it. When I'm at Target, I see people all the time. They've got their AirPods in. They're either listening to music. I don't know if they're listening to an, a podcast. They're talking to somebody. They're trying to read off a list of things they need to buy. And they're trying to shop and not like run into people at the same time. Right? So what would it be like if you just went, this is just for example, one Target and you only, you literally only shopped. And when you're online, you are not instantly looking at your phone. I'm going to tell you what the outcome is because I hear from people. When you just simply take the AirPod out or put the phone down, and when you're online, you are just standing there. You know what happens? I look you in the eye and I'm like, hey, how's it going? You go, oh, good. And you, oh my God, that shirt was cute. Where did you find that? Oh, I, I know. I found it on the sale rack over here. And all of a sudden, you and I, who are strangers to each other and actually may never even see each other again, just had a positive interaction. Okay, you might have said something, you might compliment my hair, your hair, it looks so pretty today. You know what, I might have needed that so bad that you don't even know, right? Or I might see something and I go, 
wait, what's that? And you go, oh, it's the snack. I got the pickiest eater ever. But this is like something that has fruits and veggies in it. And he actually likes. And I go, oh, I have a super picky eater for real. Because like my kid's really bad. Yes, my kid is really bad too. I'm going to buy those the next time. Thanks so much for telling me. This is what happens when we're present. We're missing out on looking around, on greeting strangers, on having eye contact. And small talk, that's part of the friendship connection continuum. You don't know where small talk is going to lead you to. It might be as simple as, cool, thanks for that tip. Bye, have a great day. See you later. Or it might lead to, oh, yeah, my kid goes there too. Really? Oh, I have a kindergarten. Oh, my kid's in third grade there. And all of a sudden, you're like, we belong to the same community. Didn't even know. Right, so I'll just pause there because I'm really passionate about this. And, and I'm really passionate about that too. And I, I am also very, I, I love connection. It's very, 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 um, has been a part of my life, like ever since I can remember. And so um, while my child is, and my husband, we're, we're all very different. Uh, it, it makes me a little sad sometimes that to see that the kids are not embracing that because they don't have to. And, and so I, I think though, as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking, well, it starts from the top down. Next time we go to Target, um, phones and bags, pockets left in the car, whatever is necessary. And let's just all do this together. I don't need to make a big deal of it. Like, okay, we're not doing screens in Target. Just do it. Just do it. Um, maybe there will be a connection. Maybe there won't be a connection, uh, but giving us the space to allow it to happen, I think is, is what you're saying. Um, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. I feel like we could go on for several hours. Although I know you have content all over the place. I would love for you to share with the listeners how they can connect with you, reach out to you, you know, in terms of content, what do you suggest they dive into? You know, I do do some social media. I'm inconsistent with it. Sometimes I've got someone helping me help, you know, share things. And sometimes I don't, but I would love a social media follow. I'm just at Dr. Cheryl Ziegler on, um, you know, mostly Instagram and Facebook. I have an online course called Start With The Talk that is, um, it's parent-child and it is for girls who are entering puberty and what that means is that could be appropriate for third through seventh grade. Um, it's happening earlier. That's a whole nother conversation. But that the talk is something I've been doing for 10 years and the pandemic happened. And basically I said, I can't not have this available to people. Like we had to cancel the April class. And so it's an opportunity to have an online course that's just on demand. And I do social, emotional and physical changes. And, um, you know, you could just watch that at home. So if you've got a kid, a girl, um, a daughter within that age range, that's an option. And um, I have my website, drcherylziegler.com. And that's where you can find everything um, that I'm doing. And I've got, um, you know, a newsletter people can sign up for. I, I don't send it yeah, out that quizzes. much. Quizzes. I've seen that. Quizzes. Yes. Um, you know, I'm really just out there for people who are interested in incorporating mental health strategies into their parenting. So um, I'm available really at drcherylziegler.com. And um, it has been really, really nice talking to you. Um, I just appreciate the opportunity to share my, my passion and my experience. Well, thank you. I am so grateful for you um, for coming here today and sharing your wisdom. And, and that is, I'd like to end this episode as I end all of our episodes, taking a moment to focus on gratitude. So if you're new to me and you're listening right now, I play what's called the grateful game, which my son, when he was nine, 
would stay up with me and we would talk about what we were grateful for and why in that day. And at first I do, I say this all the time, I think it's because my nine-year-old didn't want to go to sleep. And so he just found things that he was grateful for. But as time went on and because we made this a habit to do most days, it ended up being a way that we look at life that we knew at night we were going to come back and have a conversation. And so we looked around in the world to find things that were positive. And listen, as somebody who deals with cancer all the time, not every day is a great day for me. Um, But when I look around, there's always something that can make me smile. And so that's why I like to encourage people to be able to find a little bit of happiness during whatever hardship they're going through. And so... um, Dr. Cheryl, Dr. Ziegler, Cheryl, I'm calling you all of the above. Um, can you tell us something that you are grateful for and why today? I am grateful today for, um, I think I'm grateful. I'm just grateful for so many things. I'm, I'm grateful to live in this country. Um, if you open up your eyes to all sorts of things happening all over the world, our country is not perfect. No country is, but I'm grateful that I have the ability to vote. I'm grateful that I have a voice, um, that I, that we have a 911 system. We have a 311 system, at least here in Denver, where you just report a non-emergency thing. Um, I'm grateful, um, that we have things like, you know, free and fair elections and, um, I'm just, even though it's, it's funny that that's what came to me. I had no idea that came to me. I think it's on my mind because we have a, a runoff in the, in the mayoral race, um, here right now. And so what's just coming to me is like, how great is it that we get to vote again, that we got another month or so to, to find out more about the facts and then get to vote again. So today I'm just feeling grateful to live in a country that I have these kinds of opportunities um, and that I'm valued and educated and um, I have a voice. Well, thank you for sharing that. And for the listeners out there, I always love to hear from you too. So please reach out. You know, you can find me on social media and, and thanks so much for joining us. If this episode or others that you've listened to have brought you joy or any inspiration, It would mean so much to me if you just take 30 seconds to do one or all of these things, because in the podcast world, that is how our messages get out. If you can follow us on and subscribe to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast, that means it's going to help you. You're never going to miss an episode. And it's going to help me because then that helps me get the message out there. Um, All you need to do is go to Happiness Through Hardship, the show page on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and then just tap the plus sign. Um, or some of them say follow, just do that. And while you're there, if you give us a five-star rating, I'd be so grateful. Um, Even write a little review. That really helps with the momentum and the algorithm and all these fun things um, that that come to be when you're a podcaster. So uh, again, thank you for being here with us. I am wishing you lots of good health and joy on whatever journey you're going through in life. So have a great day and bye for now, everyone. One more thing, I would be so grateful if you'd take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sending you lots of happiness and great health.